everyone who has served so far on our uh, worship service this morning, and it's so wonderful to be together with you this morning and to have our visitors with us. We want you to know you're always welcome. We hope you will continue to come and ask questions. That's okay to do. Ask us questions about anything you might need, and if there's a way we can serve you, please let us know. We certainly are thankful to have those of you joining us online, and uh, same to you. We think about you, we are with you, and we invite you to reach out to us if we can serve you in any way. We are starting our new series that will go for uh, 10 weeks, almost to the end of the year. The year is almost over. It goes by really fast. Maybe not for you because you're listening to me, but uh, but, uh, but we're, we're near the end. We'll do this series for 10 weeks, and then we've got three weeks left. And uh, we will do one week each, and we'll look at the Trinity, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, in this new series, The Church of Our Lord, we're going to be studying First and Second Timothy and Titus. So we're going to go through all of those letters, and, and if you're familiar with them, they're shorter letters. Uh, but we're not going to go just like in the kind of normal order and verse by verse. What we're going to do, because what Paul said over here in 1 Timothy to Timothy, he might say over here to Titus over here. So what I've done is I've tried to take some topics within all three of those letters and group them up. So we might hit, you know, one letter within one Sunday, or, you know, two letters or two different spots, that sort of thing to address and to look at a particular subject. That's the way I hope uh, to approach this. And I hope that what we'll do is we'll be able to uh, study uh, in these letters. They're often called the pastoral epistles. Um, Part of that is uh, because of the confusion or uh, uh, use of, and not accurate use of the word pastor, because it's written to Timothy and Titus. uh, And oftentimes people refer to them as pastors, but they weren't because they weren't elders. And we'll we'll address that. That's why you'll hear them often referred to as the pastoral epistles. But another way of looking at it is Paul has a lot to say to the elders, the actual pastors, the shepherds uh, within those congregations. Uh, And of course, he's writing to the two evangelists and with instructions and guidance uh, to deliver on to uh, the church. But it's going to give us an opportunity to look at uh, how, how is the Lord's church organized? What, what, what do we do? What are we about? And, and what do the different roles do? What are people supposed to do? And, and, and what's our mission? A lot of things within those topics. So the way I've tried to group it is what you see here. Uh, and some of those will have two weeks on, on them. But unfaithful teachers, we'll look at uh, we're not talking about you if you taught the little kids this morning and saying you're unfaithful. Really, a lot of it was it was some unfaithful elders who were teaching false doctrine. But unfaithful teachers, but in, in the New Testament, the, the phrasing that Paul uses is false teachers. But to stay with this faithful theme, I'm saying unfaithful, but it's a, what we're looking at is uh, false teachers in the church. Okay, So unfaithful teachers, faithful worship Faithful elders, faithful ministers, faithful deacons, and faithful church. So that's how I want to look at these three letters that Paul wrote to these two ministers and uh, all that he has said. And I hope that it's a good, uh, it's a good study for you. I love these three uh, letters. And uh, as, although they're short, there's always more to learn. 
and you can grow deeper in them. Paul had worked closely with these two men, Timothy and Titus. Uh, since they were young, he, he, he was there when Timothy obeyed the gospel, it seems, and, and so he was close to these men. They were, they were close. He was older. It was this father-son uh, mentor, uh, very spiritual, deep relationship. They, were, they had worked close together in different settings, and uh, they were close personally in their just relationship together. Uh, they were... Uh, uh, Timothy was serving in Ephesus and Titus was serving on the island of Crete. Uh, two different situations, but Paul was working with these two young men uh, and, and he had worked with these congregations in these places as he went on his missionary journeys and established those churches and uh, taught people the gospel and then sends these two men to their locations. So in these 10 weeks in this series, we'll get through all these letters. As I said, we'll cover these uh, subjects. And in doing so, we want to hopefully be able to examine a lot of things related to the Lord's church. And I hope that it answers some questions you may have and, 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 and emphasizes some things, reinforces some things, reminds you of some things. And I want you to know it's okay to ask questions. So if you have a question after the sermon during the week, let me know. Maybe it's different than the way uh, you understood or what, how you grew up or you've heard something different. Let's talk about that. that that's what we want to do is study. That's why we're here to worship God and study His Word, right? So that's what we want to do. So the theme for First Timothy is often said to be chapter 3, verse 15. If I delay, Paul writes... You, uh, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress, and buttress is kind of a word we don't hear, foundation or support, other translations say. The church is of God, the living God is a pillar, a buttress of the truth. That's often referred to as the theme verse, the key verse of 1 Timothy. But I think in reading all three of these pastoral epistles, these, these letters to these uh, two ministers, I think we can safely say that this really captures a lot of the theme of what Paul is writing to both of them about. And so I want to kind of use that as a, as a lens to look through as we examine the subjects that we're examining. And the two things that we've got to learn how to live as Christians. And Paul always talks about that. He might talk way up here, but he's always going to get down on earth, on our street, and find our address, and come in the door and get in our business and say something to us, isn't he? Paul's good at that. Sometimes we don't want to hear it, but he's good at, at, at talking to us personally. Practical application. And, and, and the church of the living God. And then what is the church? It's this pillar and foundation of truth. Who is the church supposed to be? What are we supposed to be about? How is it organized? What, do, what does everybody do? Now, we first meet Timothy... In Acts chapter 16, it's, it's real interesting, and we'll take a brief look at this and kind of some intro. It's real neat to kind of trace the, the timeline here of Timothy because when we just read 1 Timothy, we don't think about this. We don't make all these connections a lot of times. And so real briefly, we first meet Timothy when Paul meets him and his family in Acts chapter 16 when Paul is there 
they lived in Lystra. Paul came through on his first missionary journey. And this is at that point when his mother and grandmother become Christians and the, Paul establishes the local congregation of the Lord's church there. We don't know if it's exactly at that time, but it, it seems at least soon after that first missionary trip, Timothy becomes a Christian. And we don't know exactly how old he is, but he's much younger than he is at this point than he is when he's in Ephesus and Paul writes to him. So he's, he's a younger person. Was he a teenager? Was he a young adult? Was he somewhere in there? Uh, yeah, there's different thoughts on that, but he was somewhere in that range when he became a Christian. Now, the church was established, at, Luke tells us, Acts 14.23. Now, during Paul's second missionary journey, uh, he visits Lystra again, and he notices, obviously, that Timothy has grown spiritually. He's impressed with what he sees in Timothy, and he asks if he can take Timothy with him, because when you're doing a missionary journey like that and traveling the way that they traveled, you need all the help you can get. And he saw such promise and, 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 and good things in Timothy that he said, I need help, and I want to train this young man. And so Timothy goes on the... On, with Paul on these missionary journeys and learns to preach and teach and learns the scripture and works with these churches and helps teach the gospel to lost souls. In fact, Paul and Timothy are so close. Paul, because obviously from his missionary efforts, he has become a Christian and Paul calls him his son in the faith. And he says that I think at least four places throughout scripture, his son in the faith. Timothy eventually works with Paul in Thessalonica, Corinth, Philippi, and uh, we don't even always realize this, but he helped Paul write six, at least six of his letters, and three of those were his, some of his prison epistles, some of his prison letters. So Timothy has a long history with Paul. Paul knows Timothy. He knows what he's learned. He knows what he's capable of, and Timothy has been intricately involved in Paul's, Paul's missionary work, Paul's ministry. So it's after Paul's released from prison, the first time he goes to prison and he's in Rome and he's released, the second time he didn't get released, but it's after he's released that first time, he soon makes his way back to Ephesus. That's where Timothy's located at the time of this writing. So he makes his way to Ephesus. We learn this in Acts chapter 18 that he has established his church. This is about A.D. 52. So the years kind of help you track this a little bit. So this is A.D. 52. Now Paul had previously left Timothy in Philippi or Macedonia, that's that area. He had left him there to work with the church there. Timothy comes to Paul in Ephesus to give him a report of the church in Macedonia. And Paul hears about how things are going and he says, I need to go visit them. And so he go, Paul leaves to visit uh, Philippi in the Macedonian area. And what does he do? He's got Timothy there and Paul is having to work on some things in that church there in Ephesus. So he leaves Timothy to take care, take over the work there as a minister, as an evangelist there in Ephesus. Now, this is about A.D. 64, when Timothy is assigned to that work there in Ephesus, A.D. 64. So Paul had become very close to these Ephesians, the church there in Ephesus, and especially the elders. And Acts 20 recounts a very tearful, very emotional, very heartfelt 
a, a, a time when Paul calls the elders to visit with him. It's, it's, it's Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders. He says, I, I, I'm never going to see you again. And they embrace, they're, they're, they're tearful. And, and Paul also warns them. Uh, Acts 20 records this. Look at verse 20 and through, 28 through 30. Paul tells these Ephesian elders, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Now at the time, Ephesus was doing good. The church there was solid and strong and sound. But Paul, in his wisdom and God guiding him and his experience from his missionary journeys, he knew what was likely coming to that church and to any church. And he said, pay attention, elders. Be on guard, elders. Be alert, elders, because because wolves will come in among you. What's he talking about? He's saying, one day you're going to be faced with some false teachers. And we're calling them uh, unfaithful teachers, unfaithful to Scripture, which we'll talk about. And, and he said, and Paul says, even from among you, you might have some rise up and start teaching things that are not true. So at that point, that's A.D. 54, Timothy is, is left. Paul's been there for about three years And Timothy's left there 10 years later, A.D. 64. Look at verse 32 in Acts 20. And now I commend to you... Here's what he says to the elders. After that warning, he says, And now I commend commend you to God and to the word of His grace. Do you see the two things that Paul tells the elders? Here's what I commend you to. I've given you the warning. I'm leaving. I'm never going to see you again. I've taught you all these things. I've worked with you. I've built you up. I've poured myself into you. I'm leaving. Be on guard. Now, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. So see, that's a message for elders that that elders need to understand that God and His Word is what you stand on. God and His Word are what you're faithful to. Not what somebody thinks or says or what the masses want or, or what people are saying they want or what that other church is doing. But God and His Word is what Paul said. Elders, you hold faithful to those two things. So Paul writes to Timothy the same year he left him in Ephesus, A.D. 64. That same year, sometime later, he writes 1 Timothy to, to Timothy. Because he knows what Timothy is dealing with in Ephesus because things aren't the same anymore from when Paul left them back there several years ago. Those, those, those false teachers have, in fact, risen up and come in. And now that's what Timothy is being left to deal with and as Paul goes on and continues his work. So some within 10 years of that warning, that's what we see happening in that congregation. And so Timothy is there uh, to address that. So look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. 
And we're just going to hit the first, uh, within the first 20 verses there, not every single detail, but we'll be right in there in the first 20 verses. But look at verses 1 through 2, how Paul opens up the letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. Now Timothy knows this, but Timothy's going to be reading this letter and using this letter with the, the members there, the, the, the Christians there. And so Paul is, is stating his authority by Jesus, by God, at the beginning of this letter. Verse 2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. See, he taught him the gospel. And he says, grace, mercy. Mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul refers to his personal close relationship with Timothy. And then what does he do? He's trying to encourage him. He knows what he's dealing with. He knows what Timothy's in the midst of. And he says, he says, Timothy, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father. And Christ Jesus, our Lord, to you. Because I know you need it right now. Because I know what you're dealing with. And I want you to, to fix your eyes on Jesus. I want you to lift your eyes up from the troubles you're dealing with. And I want you to have your hope and your trust and your faith in God and your Savior. And so look at verses 3 through 4. The reason, this is where Paul states the reason Timothy was left in Ephesus. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God or the work of God that is by faith. So when Paul says charge, depending on your translation, it might also it might say command or instruct. So in other words, Paul is not telling Timothy, hey Timothy, if you don't mind when you get a chance, would you kind of suggest to the people there not to teach anything that's not true? That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, Timothy, you command them to stop teaching false doctrine. You instruct them, you charge them to stop it, to stop teaching things that are not true, that are not according to scripture, that are not according to the word of Christ that he passed on to the apostles that I passed on to you and to the church there. And Timothy was commanded, notice, to tell particular individuals, certain individuals. So it wasn't, it wasn't everybody that was, it wasn't anarchy, at least not yet, but there were certain folks who were teaching false doctrine. They were the unfaithful teachers. And Paul said, you command them. They better stop it, teaching false doctrine. See, they were unfaithful to God and His Word. They were leaving and setting aside God's Word, and they were teaching other things that they wanted to see. The unfaithful teachers were teaching, were claiming special knowledge about things from the Old Testament, and, and they were claiming to be enlightened and to have a better understanding than uh, the other Ephesian Christians and Timothy and Paul. And Paul's saying, you tell them to cut that out. Look at verse number 5. But... The aim of our charge, that charge, that command to give them, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So Paul didn't leave Timothy in Ephesus and tell him, you uh, rule with an iron fist. You get out that two by four and you bust people upside the head. 
That's not what Paul told Timothy to do. He didn't say you be legalistic and mean and ugly and full of hate and you pound the pulpit and you tell them they're all going to hell. That's not what Paul told Timothy to do. He told him you better set things straight. You better tell them what they need to hear about not teaching false doctrine. But what's the aim? What's the motivation? Where are we going? What's this about? And he says the aim is love. That's what he's saying because Paul loved those folks who were teaching false doctrine too. And Timothy loved them and he said our love motivates them to tell them the truth that they need to hear. Our love motivates them to us to correct them. See? And that's a message for elders too. That's what shepherds are supposed to do. That's what that shepherd's staff and rod did, right? They might have to Kind of knock that sheep or they might have to just put it out there and help them come back into the fold. They might have to grab that sheep with the, with the hook at the top and keep them from going into danger. But what's the motivation? What's the, re- the reason is love. Love for their soul, for their eternity. And so the thing is that's contrasted with the motivation of the unfaithful teachers because that wasn't their motivation at all. Look at verses 6 and 7. Certain persons, again, we hear certain persons, certain people, by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion. Meaningless. Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or things about which they make confident assertions. So he's saying these certain people, they want to be smart. They want you to think they're smart, that they're enlightened, that they're gifted, they're educated. They figured it out. No one else figured it out, but but I did. I've got some secret information and knowledge. And if you'll just listen to me. And Paul's saying they don't have a clue. They don't have a clue what they're talking about. They don't understand one bit what they're saying. They're teaching false things, wrong things. And that's why he said they've swerved in their faith. When you, you ever swerved on the road and you swerved too much and it scared you because you almost had an accident? I've heard stories of people swerving and overcorrecting and they get killed because they roll over, they hit something else, right? Swerving is dangerous. He said they've swerved in their faith. Look how dangerous that is. Now look at verse, verses 8 through 11. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, verse, end of verse 10. In verse 11, he goes right into, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So he gives this brief discussion about the purpose of the Old Testament law that unfaithful teachers uh, claim to really understand, but they didn't understand. They, they had no idea what they were talking about. But look at verse 10, because Paul steers them to sound doctrine. And that's our first mention of that phrase, those words, sound doctrine. And Paul drives that concept of sound doctrine to these two ministers, Timothy and Titus. That he says they're living in ways, people are living in ways, uh, teaching in ways that are contrary to sound doctrine. And uh, uh, contrary, not in accordance with the gospel. So 
some people don't like the word doctrine. It's, it's kind of an older word. We don't think about that as much. But they might say doctrine divides and love unites. I don't want to talk about doctrine. If we just talk about love Jesus, then, then we'll all be all right. If we all stay right up here just loving Jesus, then everything will be fine. We don't have to get down into all this because we can have different opinions on that. And that's not at all what Paul is saying. He said, no, there's such a thing. Paul's not afraid of the phrase sound doctrine because he said it and God told him to say it through the Holy Spirit, told him to write about sound doctrine. So that tells us it's something God wants us to understand. understand. So Paul didn't have an issue with it. And so I want to ask two questions uh, when it comes to sound doctrine because you have to be careful what it is you believe, don't you? You have to be careful what you're hearing and what you're believing. You might hear several things, but you have to be careful. What is it I'm going to believe? What belief am I going to land on? Because just because they sound good and it sounds convincing and it sounds right and they sound smart and it sounds persuasive and wow, I never heard it put that way before. And it's got it's got to be true, but just because it sounds all those things doesn't make it true, does it? It doesn't make it true. It doesn't mean it's sound according to Scripture. The word sound, is biblically, it's talking about uh, healthy and free from error. The the, the word originally means hygiene. Is 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 this healthy, spiritually healthy, this teaching? And then is it free from error? So, so a doctor, ultimately, in a different way of saying it, wants you to be free from error. And that's, they're helping you be healthy and free from error. So Paul uses that when it comes to what is taught and our beliefs. So these two questions I want you to ask, because these are important when it comes to looking at a church and maybe finding a church home or, or wondering, is this the place where I should uh, uh, worship and, be, uh, and, and serve and be a member at? Ask yourself these two questions. The first is, how do they answer the question, what must I do to be saved? How does that church answer the question, what must I do to be saved? Would you say that that is a salvation issue, how that question is answered? If the question is, what must I do to be saved, then it's very obviously a salvation issue question. This is the question. This has to do with eternal life, where you go when you die. So how do they answer that question? And and, and it would seem to me that if, if that church answered that question in a way that is not the way it's answered in the New Testament, then something's wrong with the way it's being taught at that place. That just makes sense. It's, it's reasonable and it, it's logical to understand that. I mean, if, 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 if your answer to the question, what must I do to be saved, and, and you say this, but I read in my Bible this, then how can, the, how can your answer be right? Because it's not this. And this is the one I read in the Bible. So it's real simple. How do they teach what must I do to be saved? And then another one we'll look at throughout the, throughout the series is how is the church organized? Is it organized the way we read about in, in the New Testament? Uh, or is there some 
denominational network? Is there an annual conference when, where we vote on policy and doctrines? And, and I know we don't always want to talk about this, and we don't want to bash anybody, but we also have to be able to look at, well, what does the Bible teach about these things? So we always want to teach, uh, speak the truth in love, but, but ask, does this, does this church have just this man-made hierarchy that I can't find in Scripture? That They can't show me, okay, here's where we see that. Here's where we take that from. So those are questions we need to ask. Uh, very quickly, I'll hit on it in Acts chapter 2 to the answer the question, what must I do to be saved? Acts chapter 2, there's other places throughout Acts in our Sunday morning Bible class that we started this morning. It's going to run through the rest of the year on personal evangelism. We're going to get into some of those examples and other things when it comes to looking at how did people become Christians in the New Testament in the first century. It, the old saying is, if we do what they did, then we'll be like they were and go where they went, right? So it's pretty plain. But Jesus, uh, P- Peter is, is, is speaking to this crowd on Pentecost of thousands of Jews. And many of these are some of the same people who just yelled, crucify him, crucify him. And Peter walks them through Old Testament scripture and says, this Jesus, verse 23, uh, that you delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then verse 37, the very next verse, what do they do? Emphasis on the word do. What do they do when they heard this gospel message, this news about Jesus, that he is in fact the Savior, the Messiah, the promised one from God. He's the one we've been waiting for, and we just hung him on a cross. What do I do with this? I believe it. What do I do? And Peter says, now when they heard this, they were, Luke records, they were cut to the heart and said, to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And how do they answer the question? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you want to know what you do when you hear the gospel of Jesus, when you believe it, when you're cut to the heart. You do what Peter told them to do when they asked what to do, and you do what they did, and then you repent and be baptized, every one of you. Baptism only means, can only mean, full immersion underwater. It can't mean, it's impossible to mean anything else. And so you're not, you're, you're not, you're not, your sins are not washed away before that because he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So salvation doesn't come before the baptism and the repentance and the belief. It comes after. It's right there in scripture. So how does a church answer that question? That's an important thing to look at. It couldn't be more clear. Okay. Uh, there are are some other scriptures uh, I I want us to look at, but uh, we're out of time, so I may add this to next week. Uh, I wanted to do some intro to kind of orient us to uh, where we are with these letters and that sort of thing, but um, let's jump. Let's jump to 1 Timothy 6. Turn over to chapter 6, verse 3 through 5. 
Earlier in chapter 1, 12 through 17, Paul goes through his thankfulness to God for saving him. And, and, he, and it's so selfless and he just can't believe God saved him. And he's so thankful and just wants to praise God. His motivation, Paul's motivation is to praise God, to live for him. And he says later in chapter 1, he entrusts Timothy. Uh, uh, you, you hold on to the faith and good conscience. And, and others have shipwrecked their faith and he calls out some of those false teachers. And look at verses at 1 Timothy 6, 3-5. through 5. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved, in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means to gain. He's saying that's their motivation. It's something else other than the selfless motivation of reaching lost souls. When my motivation is right, when my motivation is right, uh, and, and, and I want to have sound beliefs, that doesn't mean I don't still have a lot of learning to do, but when my motivation is right and I want to be sound in my beliefs, I can praise God like Paul said earlier. and He said, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Because I'm always thankful for his salvation. And that thankfulness drives me to say, I, I don't care what anybody says, I just want to follow your word. And, and, and that's what Paul's saying to the, these ministers, to the evangelists there. He's saying, in your church, they need to just follow sound doctrine. Infuse that church with sound doctrine. And you tell those false teachers to cut it out and you deal with that, that situation. And he has harsh words for false teachers, unfaithful false teachers. And, but the motivation is love. Because all he would want to see is them repent and turn back and, and be faithful to God again. Do you know that salvation that's in Christ that Paul was so thankful for that he couldn't stop praising God for, that he gave his life for? Is that the salvation that you know also? You've put him on in baptism. You've been united with Christ in, in, in baptism. If not, you can do that this morning. You can do that at any time. It doesn't have to be scheduled. It doesn't have to be planned. It could be at any time of day or night because when you're ready to stop the chariot, you stop the chariot. And someone will make sure you understand and talk with you and, and help you become a Christian. But maybe you need prayers for stronger faith. Because you've maybe swerved a little bit. You're not teaching anything wrong, but you just your faith isn't strong like you know it ought to be. And you want prayers for strength. Maybe you have something else. If you have any needs, we want you to know we're here for you. If we can serve you, we invite you to come and, st and stand as we sing.